Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the equator-straddling podcast for forgotten fantastical films with me, Conrad, lining up a three-day cinema binge in Cambridge, UK. And me, Dan, finally catching COVID, uh, down here in Melbourne, Australia. Oh, we focus on overlooked sci-fi horror and fantasy films because we think every story is enhanced by metallic blue lipstick, demonic ear tentacles, and a scepter with a convenient carry handle. <laughs> hello, Dan. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I could say, how are you? But I, I think we can guess. How are you doing? Ah, uh, but croaky. But, um... <clears throat> Apologies for me clearing my throat every two seconds, but um, yeah, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. My wife is doing much worse, but she's getting through it. I think she's through the worst of it. I think it's going to be better from here on, but um, I seem to be okay. I've got a bit of a croaky throat and that's about it. And for the most part, no other symptoms. Ah. Well, that's good. I hope that stays that way. This is your first brush with COVID. Yes, yes, yes. It's been over three years and it's finally caught up to me. Wow. I'm still a COVID virgin here. Mm. Either that or I'm a super spreader with no <laughs> symptoms. Yes. One of the two. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But you've got, uh, you've been watching some movies? No, I'm, I'm lined up to go and see three movies over the weekend because ah, it yes. just so happens that, uh, yeah, there are a lot of things on at my local Cineplex. There's a secret screening, ah, which is yes, I love where you don't know what it's going to be until you show up. Uh, so I thought I'd give it a go. If it's rubbish, I'll just walk out. Okay. And I'm going to see the dinosaur movie in honour of Surge. So 65. Okay. Have you heard of this? No, I've never heard of this. No, this is Adam Driver crash landing on an alien planet that's full of dinosaurs. Wow. Wow, we were yeah. just talking about needing more dinosaur movies um, apart from Jurassic yeah. Park. So, interesting. There you go. Yeah, so Serge was very excited, so I'll be going to see that in his honour. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, then the day after that, uh, we have a, a members-only screening of Pearl, advanced screening. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, the horror movie. So I'm looking forward to that. Heard good things, yeah. Really? Oh, okay, I'm looking forward to it. I love me a goth. Yeah. <laughs> so, Conrad, have our listeners been talking to us? What's in the mailbag today? Yes, they have. So, the wraith is still a topic of conversation. Uh, when we celebrated the punks in the wraith and said they were the best characters mm -hmm. and asked people to name some of their favourite movie punks, Trevor Timmis said, I love the ones in Weird Science, punks from hell, but delightfully polite. Ah, yeah, I can't remember that movie at all. I remember watching it and the TV show as well, but yeah, I don't remember that. No, the only thing I remember is that Bill Paxton's in it and at one point he rips a towel off to give to his brother and says, for God's sake, cover yourself, but he's not wearing anything under the <laughs> towel. <laughs> so all I remember is Bill Paxton's of bum. Of course, God rest him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> On The Undead, we heard from the Uncredited Extras podcast's host, Owen, who said, I have a big soft spot for Undead. I love the goofiness of it all. Yeah, it's definitely very goofy. Yeah, I think it makes up for what it lacks in um, competency. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and resources yes. just with sheer goodwill mm, mm. we also heard of course from Serge of Cold Crash Pictures hello Serge hello Serge and he said clearly there's a massive pool of talent behind the Herculean effort that went into making Undead but the reward isn't a positive review oh. it's a shot at directing Daybreakers very happy that the Spearig brothers were able to move on to bigger and much better films I'm glad Movie Oubliette is here to sing its praises because I couldn't quite uh, finish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. 
I think it is a, it is not for everyone, for sure. No. But I think that's a first, isn't it, that Serge hasn't been able to finish the movie we've been watching? Mm, yeah, yeah. He's normally pretty dedicated. He is, yeah. But not this time. Well, mm. I wonder if we'll manage it this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think this time... We'll need somebody to guide us, Dan. Yes, we will. Because we're going into uncharted territory. But luckily, we have with us a friend of the pod, an honorary British gentleman, and the undisputed master of humorous analysis of 80s toys and popular culture. Over at Retro Blasting, it is, of course, Michael French. Hello, hey, sir. Hey, Michael. Hello. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that you're feeling a little under the weather, Dan, or potentially under the weather, but I'm always... Glad to be back. I'm always glad when you guys send up the the oubliette signal into the sky at night, and and I I answer the call. So here I am. Um, What have you got me here today for? I'm curious. Well, we thought it might be fun if you popped into the oubliette to fetch it for us. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, All right. I I will do so. Do you want me to go now, or do you have anything else you want to warn me about before I go? No, it should be fine. It should be fine. <laughs> okay, great. Well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna head into the oubliette here. I'll, I'll I'll be right back. Did you guys know that Richard O'Brien is down here? He's pointing me into a maze, but oh. there are no crystals, and oh. Oh. Uh, there are no dorky contestants with me. So I don't oh. think this is the same maze. Oh. Whoa, there's a there's a lot of corpses of dead careers in here. Like there are a lot of dead careers in here. Whoa, 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 whoa! Blades, 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 sharp things, pointy things, blades. Wow. What am I supposed to be here, Lara Croft? Jeez. Fire, 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 fire. Okay, okay. I think I've got the movie. Um, I just Oof. need to put this bag of sand on the thing. Fortunately, as an Indiana Jones fan, I always carry a bag of sand with me. Got it. All right, yeah. I'm on my way back. Okay, here I come. Well, you can control dragons. Whoa. Wow. Thanks for almost getting me killed. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Obviously, it changes every time you go in there, so you, you, yeah. know, you never uh, can tell. This, this TARDIS of wonders that you spin here. <laughs> Um, all right. So what do you have for us then, Michael? I have a movie that I have not confronted in 23 years. Marvelous. That I never thought I'd see again. And it's called <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons from 2000. Uh-huh. And uh, any names in the uh, cast or crew list that we would know? I, Thora Birch, uh, Justin Whalen of Lois and Clark fame. One of the uh-huh. Wayans brothers is in this, and um, I don't know what pictures they got to blackmail him with, but Jeremy Irons is in this as well. Yeah. <laughs> Not really sure how that happened, uh, but here we are, and um, uh, yeah, um, I feel like I need to go with God on this. So uh, yeah, it's, it looks like a, it looks like a a medium star cast. I'll put it that way. Okay. So, uh, how would you summarize the plot of this movie? Oh, rods, rods, and more rods. Um, <laughs> there is a evil wizard in the world of Dungeons and Dragons, played by Jeremy Irons, who needs a special rod so that he can control dragons to take over the mythical realm of wherever they are, Ismer or whatever it's called. And mm-hmm. uh, he tries to summon one, but I guess it's faulty or has a recall and doesn't work. So he really wants Thora Birch's rod that she carries because she's the empress, but she won't give it to him because she's she's aware that he's big bad. So now he wants another one so he can control red dragons. And uh, somehow <laughs> Justin Whalen and a Wayans brother who are thieves get caught up in this and they have to steal it first in a kind of uh-huh. typical adventure plot. You know, you don't want the big bad guy to get the thing, so you got to get the thing before he gets the thing. But of course, he's going to end up getting the thing, and then you got to stop him from using the thing, and then evil angels come out of a big golden box and Nazis all melt, and it's a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> I might have I might have I might have pulled the whole golden box and Nazis part from another movie but but the the plot oh. structure is pretty much you know that um with mm-hmm, a lot of okay. low budget special effects in an attempt to create a convincing fantasy world 
um, that totally face plants at every turn. And the question we then have to ask ourselves is, is their attempt, as faulty as it is, is it a charming kind of failure? Or is it a avoid this movie for 23 years kind of failure until your friends ask you to come do a show uh, and you discover you have to pull this thing out of a vault? Um, I'm going to need therapy after this episode. So just go with that. Well, it, I, I can't wait to resolve that question. So <laughs> we'll be back after the break. And we're back to talk about Dungeons and Dragons, the very first attempt at adapting this rather famous intellectual property. Sadly, not the new one, Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, which I haven't seen yet. I'd never seen this before. Dan, had you seen this before? No, I'd uh, never seen it. I don't even remember it coming out, which is strange because <laughs> 2000 was like, you know, I was peak teenage years. I was going to movies all the time, you know. I don't remember this movie at all. Like, it <laughs> must have not been shown in cinemas in New Zealand. I'm not sure. But Michael, yeah, you saw it in theatres. Oh, uh, there are five, maybe six decisions in my life that I really wish I could <laughs> get in a DeLorean and take back. <laughs> this one is probably number four or five. We were in film school at the time at Syracuse University. And as film students, we had no game with the ladies. So we would spend our weekends going to the local shopping center where they had a movie theater. And we would just watch movies in the early afternoon, then we would have lunch, then we'd go back and watch more films. So mm -hmm. one day we're watching Mr. Bean the movie and then Starship Troopers back to back. The next day we're watching Dungeons and Dragons and something else back to back. But uh -huh. look, the only thing I remembered until I rewatched it was the memory of I hope I never have to ever see this again because <laughs> yeah i was a kid that played dungeons and dragons uh when i lived in the uk ah, i played yes. dungeons and dragons the role-playing game with the dice and the books yeah. and wow really yeah see i never have i don't even know how it works really it feels like something i'd find very difficult as a introverted brit to play because it requires sort of role-playing doesn't it sure Rather than yes just sort of like rolling a dice and moving a token along a board or something like that right but at the same time everything's in everybody's imagination for the most part and mm. everybody's personality lends to a a variety of interactions and experiences so you don't have to be an extroverted person necessarily to be effective in the game. Mm, the okay. problem with trying to make a Dungeons & Dragons anything that's not just playing the game is you're trying to impose a story that is set into a script format, which negates the whole premise of the game itself, which is you just imagine yourself in this fantasy world and your character and what you're doing and you have total free will and the other characters and players have total free will. So when you then see a movie company saying, we're going to make a movie called Dungeons and Dragons, most of the audience is already set up for disappointment because, I don't know if you recall, but there was criticism when Phantom Menace finally came out because there had been 16 years for people to come up with their own better prequel. Right. Mm. Imagine if from the get-go, every single person of those hundreds of thousands of adolescents eating Watsits and drinking soda while playing this game all day They've already imagined better scenarios and had more fun playing the game than you're about to give them in a mediocre screenplay. Mm, yeah. sure. And I feel like that's the problem trying to put Dungeons & Dragons on screen is that it's built to be created and manifested in your own mind. It's not built for a structure. Like Robin Hood has made Marion and Friar Tuck and Little John and the Sheriff of Nottingham and possibly Prince John every time. <laughs> mm. And that's like, great. This... I'd never heard of the realm of Izmer until I saw this movie. Like, I'd never heard of Profion. I'd never heard of 
dude with the frosty lipstick. I'd never heard of any of these people. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. You know, there's no set characters. It's right, you know, right, right. Yeah, it's a difficult property to adapt, mm-hmm. I guess. But you do have your base characters. You know, you've got a dwarf, you've got a, a dark elf, you've got a thief. Yes. So there's that that's translated into the movie. Yes, there are these sort of fundamental elements of Dungeons and Dragons that you can put into the story. Hmm. But then you've got to season those basic ingredients. And hmm. if you don't season them properly, it's going to be a really bad soup. Yeah. And I think that's where this film immediately fell into a cream pie. From the moment the film begins, it's clear that the director has decided, and I believe he was a Canadian director, he decided everybody's performance is going to be dialed up to 25, and they're all going to literally eat the scenery. Like every single person is eating the scenery in this movie. Between Jeremy Irons' Profion and Frosty Lipstick Damodar, that's <laughs> yeah. already enough drama. They lap William Shatner five times in the overacting department. Yeah. Jeremy yeah. Irons is a very good actor. Like, he can mm. do a wide range of roles. Yeah, I think he just won an Oscar right? prior to this. Yeah, I still don't know why he's in this movie. And on top of that, Who directed him to do this? Because I know he's not just doing it himself. Like, he's taking direction. He's not somebody that would necessarily make these choices. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he just did it because he knew the film was going to be bad the moment he saw what was happening. And he said, maybe he pulled an Alan Rickman from Prince of Thieves. There is a famous quote from Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio on the making of Prince of Thieves. And they asked her what it was like working on the film. And she said, well, she said, Alan Rickman was having a wonderful time. She goes... I wish I was in the movie that he was in. (laughs) She goes, but I was in another film. And I feel like that's maybe what happened with Jeremy Irons. I'm speculating. I don't know. But it really feels like one of two things. Either he was directed to give the worst performance of his career, or he (laughs) knowingly gave the craziest performance of his career just to give himself something to entertain Mm. himself during the show. Apparently, he was supposed to be resting and was overseeing the renovation of a castle that he'd just bought in Ballydehob called Kilco Castle. And he was offered this. And since then, he has said that he actually did the movie to pay for the renovations of his castle. <laughs> so that kind of explains why he's there. And also the executive producer of this movie is Joel Silver, who just worked with him on Die Hard with a Vengeance. So he was the one that brought him in. Right, right, right. So that's why he's in the movie. As for what he's doing in the movie, mm-hmm. most of the time I couldn't even hear what he was saying because it was, and I was going to ask Dan about the sound design at some point because it seemed to be very noisy and mm. Jeremy Irons had adopted this way of delivering his lines. It makes him sort of raspy and he's just like, yeah. You just see him mouthing in this weird sort of noise coming out Mm, and mm. i'm sorry jeremy i can't hear a word of it to give everybody who's listening a sense of context profion wants to control dragons to take over the realm but we don't really know why he wants to do that we just know that he wants to upend the balance of power and take it all for himself in the ultimate kind of black hat villain you know of any western we've ever seen like there's no background to it there's no I hate to be pretentious. There's no motivation mm. <laughs> for, for his, his evil. He's just evil. Mm. And then we have these characters. There's the pure of heart empress who says, no, I don't care what's in the law. I will not give him my magic rod. He cannot have it to control the dragons. I will not let him do this. And even though you all have the legal authority to censure me or take it from me or whatever, I have to live by my moral principles and I won't do it. Okay, that sounds cliche and nice or whatever. Then you've got these two thieves played by um, the Wayans brother and um, Justin Whalen. And Whalen, Wayans. Whalen, Wayans, Whalen. That's going to get confusing. And uh, their names are Ridley and Snails. They decide they want to rob the wizard's tower. Because that, honestly, that is what you do in Dungeons and Dragons. Your dungeon master for a sit-down session says, what would you like to do during this session? You're in the town of Amityville. And you're like, oh, is there a wizard's tower? That sounds interesting. Let's go rob the tower. So in that sense, the looseness of the script in this movie lended itself, and I'm reaching here for a compliment, it, (laughs) it lended itself to that kind of play scenario. In other words... 
feels like it was written by a 12-year-old. Um, and then they, of course, get caught up in the adventure and everything else. And then Damodar tries to hunt them down and overact his poor little heart out the whole movie. I was convinced it was Arnold Vosloo. I thought, so he got off of The Mummy and he went straight into this? You know, surely he could have had better offers than that. But it turns out it's not. It's a Brit called Bruce Payne. Mm. I think Damodar's probably the most fun. So, yeah, the mode of performance is pitched pretty high, I would say. Yeah, it's surprising, the takes they went with. Um, <laughs> yeah, Damodar, I mean, yeah, the lipstick. It did remind me, there's a Friends episode where Joey has this tape that he doesn't want anyone to watch and this Japanese advertisement where he wears blue frosty lipstick <laughs> for, for men about that. and that's all i re- that's all i thought about watching this movie just the, those blue lips i mean they're not intimidating whatsoever it's a look <laughs> it's a look but what i was thinking every time he was on screen was somebody in the production design should have raised their hand and said look we can either do the frosty silver lipstick or the egregious overacting but we shouldn't do both because <laughs> both serve the same purpose. But when you put them together, it becomes like nitro, you know, into a, a combustible engine. Like there's no coming back from that. He sold every line like, you can control dragons. <laughs> and you're going, why are you saying every line like that? Like every single line with this false sense of, evil gravitas or yeah. but but then with the silver lipstick it negates every every bit of energy oh, he's trying to give yeah. i won't deny that he's the most interesting thing on screen at any given moment with um marlon wayans being the runner-up for that but there was something about the entire tone of this movie and i wonder if it was them trying to compensate for a restrained budget or maybe get the energy up like they used to on older Star Trek episodes. I am again speculating because this whole movie is an enigma for me. In terms of how the movie came about, it does seem like it went through a fairly tortured process because the game's publisher, TSR, was reluctant to sell the rights to a big studio because they weren't convinced that they would understand that unique mm-hmm. blend of spices that was going to make it that special D&D soup that you were talking about, Michael. Mm-hmm. And eventually, yes, the Canadian Courtney Solomon, who was 19 or something mm, at the 19, time when he yeah. first contacted them, wheedled his way in there and managed to convince them that as a player himself and a super fan, he was the man for the job. Yeah, and then he spent 10 years getting funding. So this movie costs apparently $45 million. Mm. Like, how? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's a crazy amount of money for what this movie looks like. <laughs> and also, he wasn't a director either, was he? No. And he was made to direct this because he had all these other directors that he wanted, but the studio's turned him down or something and so he had to direct it but why why would you get anyone else yeah anyone else i think it was one of these situations where they were going to lose the rights unless they started making a movie mm-hmm. so he was courting francis ford coppola james cameron rennie harlan stan winston stan winston was even announced in premiere magazine apparently oh, okay. as the director and it went through this long development process until finally i think they were on the cusp of losing the rights and it it was a case of right. you either start shooting or your opportunity's gone. Mm-hmm. So he just thought, well, I'll just pick up this script here and off we go to Prague. Yeah. They yeah. shot it in Prague, which made it cheaper. I think it was still early days after communism there. So everything was cheap, but it was very difficult because there wasn't really a movie making infrastructure there. So it was very hard to get the things that they needed. Mm. But they were hoping that they could get the bang for their 45 million bucks up on the screen. And Courtney Solomon, being such a fan of D&D, was hoping that he could do justice for the fans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all the best intentions, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think having a director that has had no experience, this is his first film. He's done two other movies that aren't great. 
And he's primarily a producer. That's what he does. He he seems to produce a lot of B grade genre films. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess not an experienced director. That's why the direction of this movie is just so awful. Even like the fact that it was f- uh, filmed in Prague, they did use some great sets. There are some scenes like the council hall and the library that, that looks great. But then all the external shots are just all CGI. Awful. Just just really takes you out of the movie. And this is 2000 CGI. Everything looks like a computer game. Yeah, it looks like a PlayStation cutscene, doesn't it? I just can't. Every scene with CGI, I just yeah. audibly groaned. They do like the big whizzy camera castle establishing shots, don't they? Where the camera's flying all over the place so you know it's yeah. fake and then the CGI is fake. Yeah. It's miniatures. They should have done miniatures. And and all the, the magic CGI, just awful as well. They should have done rotoscoping, but obviously, yeah. So you've got some practical creatures, like there are orcs in like a tavern scene. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. The tavern scene, very reminiscent of, of Star Wars. It felt like I was watching Phantom Menace. Yes. You've got your councilman that's actually evil. Yeah. It's just Palpatine. And then you've got this mage that is kind of elite and trying to do the good thing. That's Padme. And then obviously Ridley's. Luke Skywalker, he's a nobody that's risen up and saves the day. So it is. it feels, again, like uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, another Star Wars ripoff. Yeah, I made a list, actually. There's, there's a Rancor <laughs> monster death with the door being slammed down on a dragon's neck. Lengthy council arguments, you know, because they were such a thrill ride in Phantom Menace. No wonder somebody wanted to uh, rip those off. Uh, the heroes escaping by throwing themselves down a garbage hatch. There's a cantina scene full of monsters uh-huh. and then it decides to do raiders for a while which michael has already noticed yeah i know then it goes into lord of the rings for some reason has a hero mortally wounded by a black clad knight um but he's wounded in the shoulder with a sword and healed in a city of elves so all of a sudden we're doing fellowship of the ring for some reason yeah it's just a never-ending hodgepodge of key moments from other franchises I've read, I don't know anything about D&D, but I've read that people do create thinly veiled references to their favourite characters from other properties sometimes when they're playing a game of Mm D&D. But is mm -hmm. it this much of a hodgepodge normally? It can be if you have uninspired story runners as well as maybe just uncreative players Mm -hmm. but most of the time with a good dungeon master or storyteller and then experienced players they are happy and prefer to create from a blank slate instead and let the events of the story shape their character over time this film is created from I have to have a story now and I have to have these characters somewhat developed at the beginning and then fully developed by the end for the audience. The temptation is there to just draw from all this other stuff. You know, there was an interview that was just done with the writers of the upcoming Dungeons and Dragons film where they openly admit they're making the movie that they want to make and they're just using the Dungeons and Dragons name for cachet Mm. to get butts in the seats. And I'm thinking Dungeons and Dragons doesn't have a lot of cachet for moviegoers at this point. I mean, the track record is pretty bad. So we are dealing with a film from 2000 that is one year removed from Phantom Menace, Matrix, and The Mummy. Mm -hmm. And it's only four years removed from Dragonheart, which while not a great movie had really good dragon effects for the time. I mean, it's also worth noting, it's it's, uh, Reign of Fire came out in 2002, and the dragon in that looks amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't understand how two years (laughs) makes a dragon look so much better (laughs) than the dragons in this. Well, and if we look at what happened from 1996, or five or six, I can never remember exactly when Dragonheart came out. I think it was 95. So let's add six years to it. What happened in six years that made the dragons so much worse? And then two years later, they're better <laughs> yeah. than Dragonheart. Like, yeah. And also some of those effects at the end where they have the big swooping dragon battle as they're flying through the city where you've got mm. the gold dragons on the Empress's side, but Profion has the red dragon rod. And so he's controlling all these red dragons. There are a lot of effects in those sequences as they're swooping through the city 
you can tell those backgrounds are unfinished effects. Like they don't have texturing on them mm. compared to some of the other shots within the same sequence. And I'm going, wow, they must have been at their budget and running out of time. Mm. And they just threw in and hoped for the best with, well, these shots go by in an instant. They're pretty blurry. They're pretty fast. But you can tell. It's like, I don't even think they'd invented motion blur yet. Like, you can really see those buildings in, yeah. in low poly. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard they cloned a lot of the dragon movements as well. So they were just doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah, you can't blame them. They were on a shoestring and they were trying to get everything out of it they could. You just mentioned, you know, how they channeled certain sequences from Fellowship of the Ring a year before that movie came out. You know, they were, clearly this guy was a fantasy nut, so he probably had Tolkien rattling around in his mind. Yeah. Fun little bit mm. of trivia, Tom Baker was in the running to have a role in Lord of the Rings, and he opted out of it, even though Peter Jackson was a massive Doctor Who fan. Mm -hmm. He opted out of it because he didn't want to spend 15 months in New Zealand. No offense, Dan. That's Tom Baker saying that, not me. Oh, he's missing out. I would love to spend 15 months in New Zealand. I would love that. But uh, he then chose to be the elf healer in this movie instead because it was only like 10 days in Prague. Right. But he knew the script was, quote, whip it shit. So <laughs> his words, not mine. All right. And you can watch the video interview of him saying it. In 1999, he actually said this to a group of college kids wow. during a wine and dine interview before the movie had even come out, <laughs> which I have to salute that man for his brazen honesty. Like, he just does not care. And he talked about the director. He was like, I've never seen a director that I can't believe as a director. He, he never believed for a moment the man was really a director. Yeah, well, he wasn't. <laughs> he knew they didn't have a script, really. Like, they were reinventing the script as they went. Mm -hmm. He said it was crazy. He thought he was an elk at first because he didn't read the script carefully enough. <laughs> and then when he got there, he found out he was an elf. And he was like, oh, okay. Right, 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 right. Yeah, he's only in one scene. I think he delivers about five lines and then he's gone. It's yeah. lovely to see him there. But mm -hmm. he is suitable for many wonderful roles. An elf? No. Well, not really. He's not. He hasn't got the build for it. A toothy, mischievous Gandalf I could totally see and I wish he'd done it. Yeah. Not that I don't love Ian McKellen. I love Ian McKellen, yeah. but I would kill to see a Tom Baker Gandalf oh, now that I know that. Yeah. But yeah, his whole presence in Dungeons & Dragons, Melinda was watching it with me, and uh, she was shocked that he was in it. <laughs> and she goes, the scene comes and goes, Yeah. and she goes, well, that was the best acting in the movie right there. She's like, we're done. Yeah. It's yeah. over now. <laughs> There are actually moments of good acting. There's one scene with Marina and Ridley and she's trying to explain the whole mage situation and the commoners. I don't know. And it's it's actually really, really heartfelt. And it's amazing. It's really genuine. Mm. And then they kiss for some reason after that. Which yeah, is what's that about? Really out of place. This love story, it's almost like the director knew, oh, we have to have a love story. But there's like zero chemistry. <laughs> yeah, none whatsoever. And they'd given no indication that they'd softened towards each other in any way. He hated everything that she stood for. Mm. You didn't quite understand why. And this is one of the things that bugs me about the movie. There's a scene early on where they get a map for some reason. I can't remember why. The first act was so confusing. So confusing. I had no idea why anyone was doing anything. No. There's rods and maps, and it just made no sense. No. Well, anyway, they get a map, because, you know, you need a map to your Artifact of Doom. Yeah. And um, Ridley does the magic words that will enable him to decode it, but it, for some reason it sort of sucks him into the map. Mm, yeah. And then Marina goes in there with him, and... I'm thinking, okay, and now the really fascinating scene of two characters inside the world of a map. Yeah. Nope, we just stay outside in the tavern to watch hijinks between the dwarf 
and the elf for some reason. Yeah. No yeah. idea why this is happening. But then I watched the deleted scenes and they did shoot the scene of them inside the map. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's crucial because he explains why he has this deep hatred of mages. And it's because his father had a natural ability for magic. He used it on some invention of his and the mages sort of sucked the memory of it from his mind oh. they wouldn't let a commoner use magic oh right so he hated mages because it destroyed his father oh, that makes sense that explains a lot yeah so the whole class thing that's going on in the movie between mages and commoners that's what it's driven by it's driven by this incident in ridley's childhood but they rob him of that so he just seems like a prick the whole movie yeah is it just me he just seems really uh irritable and yeah when they come out of the map they don't really explain what they're about to do no either. like they have to go <laughs> find a thing but they need a, another thing first yeah to find the thing which was all explained in the map scene yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> the beginning of the film lends itself to that same confusion that happens with the map. We have Profion summoning a rod or magic staff or whatever you want to call it from some other reality or dimension. or He's doing something to get a rod that he hopes will control these dragons. Mm. And it doesn't work. And or he doesn't have the power to use it. It's not made quite clear. And then he's mad. And then he's like, I must have the Empress's staff. And then they cut to a scene where the mage guild is with the young girl and uh, her mentor. Mm. They're suddenly talking about how, well, we've got to get the empress, the staff that controls red dragons. And I'm going, wait a second. So Profion wants her staff and the mages want to get her another staff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Profion ends up wanting <laughs> that staff. And it's almost like he forgets about the other staff, but he did, he's not supposed to even know about the red staff because that's not what he was after. Yeah. But then he's suddenly after it. Yeah. The plot is very confusing in, in terms of motivations. And and also, it's, it's again, like you said, Michael, it's one of those things, if no one did anything, mm -hmm. everything would have turned out fine. Right. You know, <laughs> at the end, in the big battle scene, You've got the Empress with the only rod mm -hmm. winning the battle yep. with these dragons. If they didn't go for the red rod, she would have won. Mm -hmm. It would have been just happy days. It would have just been like, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't, the movie doesn't make sense. It's all destroying. It's like when you find out that Indiana Jones, if he'd not done anything in Red as the Lost Ark, everything would have been fine. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those really frustrating plot lines as well where they're going for the same thing. But if they just didn't go for it, then they wouldn't lead the bad guys directly to the thing. Yeah. Right? Like they need to stop going for it and then no one would find it and it'll be fine. Yeah. And the hero's a dick because Ridley manipulates snails into going with him to fetch the artifact of doom. And Snail says, I know I'm going to regret this. And indeed he does because... Quite shockingly, he dies at the end of the second act, yeah. which is not usually what you do with your comedy sidekick. Usually it's the old wise man that dies, you know, so Ben Kenobi and Inir in Krull. Mm -hmm. It's that figure because once they've gotten to the end of act two, actually, they've got no purpose in the story. So if you kill them, you up the stakes. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. you get rid of the useless character at the same time. So it's an interesting choice. Well, <laughs> I mean, they do bring him back at the end. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of alluded to. They don't show it. But he comes back, I guess. I was deeply upset about that. <laughs> it's like, oh, I guess no one dies. No, nothing matters. But the ending's a reshoot. And I have no idea what you're supposed to take away from what you're seeing. Because what is the red eye of the dragon thing that he puts on the gravestone? What is that actually doing? Yeah. Why didn't they know it would do this? Why didn't they therefore use it in the first place? Why do they all put their hand on it? Where did they go? Yeah, where did they go? <laughs> See, they just disappear and then go up into the light rays at the end after they say something like, your friend is waiting for you. I thought, did they all just die? Yeah. What happened? I don't know. <laughs> well, don't know. we know that Marlon Wayans was shooting uh, Requiem for a Dream at the same time. And so his time was limited between the two productions. So oh. the poor guy was literally shooting a heroin addiction movie and then coming back and playing snails the thief in dungeons and dragons week after week wow and his time on the action scenes was limited so i wonder if they killed him off midway through the movie 
as part of that whole, we only have a limited amount of time. Right, right. Uh, I don't know. Just kill him. Right, right. (laughs) Now it's time for Random Trivia. So, Dan, it's just us for the trivia. Did you have an exciting piece of trivia that you discovered on your quest today? So, for the most part, the visual effects for this movie are are CGI and and just terrible, terrible CGI. (laughs) But there are some great practical effects in this movie. So, there's one scene uh, where Marlon Wayans, um, Snails, is in Damodar's room and he um, goes to go for the map. Uh, and then he, he steps on a rug, but the rug turns out to be quicksand, and it's a really cool effect. He like falls into it, and he sinks down into this quicksand rug. Um, but that that effect was done. Um, there's actually a lift underneath the quicksand, uh, mm-hmm. and he just stands on the platform, and it just slowly lowers him down into this quicksand, which is not actually quicksand, obviously. It's uh, oats. It's porridge. And it looks really good. It looks really good. And it's a, it's a really um, well-executed effect. Yeah, it is. I, I love that. It's uh, it's quite something the way they managed to sort of sprinkle, I guess, powdered paint or food colouring or something on top of it to make a Persian rug yeah, that yeah. stays still long enough for Marlon Wines to be lowered into it. I read a wonderful interview from Cinefantastique, uh, December 2000 issue where the, the special effects guy, Oscar winner George Gibbs, talks about that effect uh-huh. and he said after a few days we had to put a preservative into the mixture to stop it going mouldy but panic set in the next day when we got to set and the whole mix was six inches in the air because of some chemical reaction. So we had to scrape off the excess only to oh. find the next day the whole lot was bubbling and fermenting away. I had my entire crew hitting the stodge with paddles to beat out the air. I don't think I'll ever be able to look at a bowl of porridge again. Oh my god, that's uh, that's a little bit terrifying actually, I wouldn't want to step into that No, goodness only knows what you would catch I think Marlon Wines has talked about it since then Saying it was probably the most awful thing he's ever had to do in a movie Right, okay, okay, that makes him way worse knowing, knowing that And that's our trivia Yes So what about the music, Dan? Yeah. Did you have any impressions on that? The music was actually pretty good. I didn't mind it. It was very orchestral and and action-adventure, sort of fantasy-adventure. It was exactly what you expected. Yeah. But it wasn't bad. No, it wasn't bad at all. It's um, the work of Justin Kane Burnett, who I think came out of the remote control stable, working sort of in that pool of composers with Hans Zimmer Ah. during mid to late 90s, and then struck out on his own. He's done a few things, including another film directed by Courtney Solomon. Although in that case, he is credited as Kane Davidson. All right. So okay. I don't know whether he was taking a pseudonym because <laughs> he wasn't all that proud of it. I don't know. I'm, I'm right, guessing. Right. But yeah, he's, he's done a few other movies, but Dungeons and Dragons is probably the one that people will remember. He also did the sequel to... I still know what you did last summer, which was called I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer. Right. (laughs) I didn't even realise there was a third film. No, apparently so. And it just states the fact that whoever is speaking does not have some sort of memory issue. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, it's fine. I couldn't hum any of it. Apparently there are dozens of themes in there for different characters and relationships. Yeah. I couldn't hum any of them now, but it worked. I think they were memorable enough, especially the the sort of the main opening theme as well. Like, I I don't think they're bad cues. They're quite generic, though. They are kind of exactly what you expect uh, from a fantasy adventure movie. But I didn't think they were bad. And and they sounded real. I think yeah. they were. Were they? It was a real orchestra. I mean, compared to Undead, like a thousand times better. Like it, it, it sounded like a proper score. Yes. 
Well, the score was recorded by an Australian orchestra, no less. Ah, the Perth Symphony Orchestra. Wow. Okay. Yeah, not a not a very renowned Australian symphony orchestra, but you know they did their job well. Well, I think everything on this was done, you know, with the lowest budget possible. So I guess Perth is non-union orchestra. Yeah. Uh, in another country, so it's... yeah, it's not it's not the Sydney <laughs> Philharmonic or the or the the Melbourne Symphony. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The other one. The other one. Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Awards. Hey, it's the Moobly Awards. It's just me and Conrad. Unfortunately, uh, Michael has had some technical difficulties. Uh, it's This is where we present our favourite computer game level CGI parts of the film in a number of parasite worm head splitting categories. Best quote. Uh, my favourite quote comes from Damodar, uh, the blue lipstick man himself. Uh, <laughs> Michael talked about the fact that he delivers every line with this sort of a villainous gravitas and my favorite was this particular tortured piece of english do not let them escape or you will suffer a fate far worse than that which hath been inflicted upon me <laughs> good god yeah i know that's not great dialogue never has the english language been so tortured as that it's terrible Utterly yeah. terrible. Oh, it man. reminds me of Carrie Fisher looking at the dialogue for Star Wars and saying to George Lucas, you might be able to write this shit, George, you can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, my favourite quote, uh, it has to be one from Profion, um, played by Jeremy <laughs> Irons. Uh, it's during the last final battle scene and he's got I think he's got hold of the red rod and he's controlling the red dragons and it's just the, the delivery of this line and he's 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 going full force he's taking it to 110 uh, percent and he just he yells let their blood rain from the sky it's, it's just <laughs> so much just so much <laughs> just laughably overacted i can't believe he didn't burst a blood vessel in his eye honestly i know i know best hair or costume it has to be damaged blue lipstick surely <laughs> <laughs> it's tough to beat isn't it really there's also his shoulder pads my goodness how did he fit yeah. through doors <laughs> i know I know. Yeah, how did he do anything? I mean, <laughs> like, he seemed invincible uh, in any fight, but I just, how do you move? No, I, I have absolutely no idea. My nomination actually was the elven costumes, and I think you referenced them as well. The, the weird sort of, they're wearing like a random assemblage of furs and leathers just sort of glued together. And half of a skull? Yeah, that's right. As a mask? It was confusing to look at. Yeah. Because you thought, is this a creature? But then, oh no, it's it's just like strapped on. Yeah, like half a mask, but with like this hideous underbite. So the bottom jaw just sort of stuck straight out. And, mm, and they're yeah. elves, apparently. I've never I seen elves wear crap like that. Yeah. They just yeah. look like sort of stick of the dump or something it, they just look <laughs> terrible i didn't know what the thinking was behind mm. that yeah most naughty moment you've said it before so i'll bring it up this time it's action girl uh kate beckinsale in underworld 2003 the entire cast of kill bill in 2003 uh -huh. carrie ann moss in the matrix Mila Jovovich in the Resident Evil franchise, Angelina Jolie in Tomb Raider, mm. and here we we have the lovely Kristen Wilson as our elven warrior. And, oh uh, yes, 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 very much, very much of the noughties, I thought. Her first appearance, though, um, I was watching with my wife, and she thought she was Angelina Jolie. Like she has very right. similar eyes and and lips. Um, yeah. Different race, though, but like, you know, it was a shadowy scene. Um, mm. But yeah, I think they were going for that look. Yeah, I think you're right.
Mm. Yeah. How about you for naughties? Naughties for me, I mean, obvious choice would be the god awful uh, CGI. But uh, I also have to mention uh, Token Black Guy. Uh, very of the 90s and early 2000s just like uh, one yeah. black guy I guess in in the movie uh, and he all, he's always comedic as well yeah he's he kind of fits into the screaming ninny sort of uh, trope which oh, dates yes. back to Gone with the Wind so it's it's not great <laughs> oh right yeah 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 favorite scene I, I really loved the maze scene as as cliche as it was uh, yeah obviously yeah. very indiana jones um and not a maze as you mentioned as well <laughs> no uh, it's just a series of traps and rooms but i love that i love the challenges and and sort of each room had a different um obstacle he had to get through and he wins the day i don't know i it was it was an enjoyable scene to watch and for him to win at the end as well like he actually yeah. does kind of use his skills of i don't know being nimble and mm. smart as a thief yeah i know i liked it too i also like the fact that it was basically an impromptu episode of a british game show called the crystal maze ah which... yes i don't really know about this this show i've seen clips yeah. with uh richard richard Ayoade was a host for a while yeah, um, most recently it was, yeah. Yeah. But it was Richard O'Brien when it launched, and he stayed there from 1990 until 1993 on our TV station, Channel 4. It was quite the uh, phenomenon back in the day. And people, he would send people into rooms to solve puzzles and ah. collect a crystal, and there was a time limit. And yeah, it, it's it's basically this. <laughs> and right, to see right. Richard O'Brien watching from outside the room making quips, you just thought, okay, so it's just it's just an episode of the Crystal Maze <laughs> all of a sudden. And yeah, I'm right. not sure that they were conscious of it. I'm not sure the director knew because he he makes a reference to Rocky Horror Picture Show and says, well, that came out in 1973, which was the same year that D and D came out for the first time, supposedly. Right. That was the connection he made. I don't think he realised that Richard O'Brien's basically doing his TV show in the middle of his movie. <laughs> Most cliche moment. I mention it every time. It's sliding. Uh, in your... <laughs> You've got a slide in your adventure movie. And in this movie, they do it twice. Uh, once when they, they slide down into the sewer to escape uh, Damodar and, and his henchmen. Uh -huh. and, uh, and then Ridley slides into the hiding place of the Red Dragon Scepter uh, later on in the movie. So, yes, yeah, lots of sliding. <laughs> yeah, you do have to have a slide. I did write in my notes, Conrad will probably mention a slide. <laughs> yeah, it's, we're over 120 episodes now. Yeah. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, cliche for me, I did write in capital letters everything. It was a very cliche movie. But um, fantasy films always have a tavern brawl. Um, mm. Always, no matter what. Yeah, um, Willow, yeah. Yep, yep. I can't surely there was one in Lord of the Rings I can't remember um uh, another cliche I did find in this movie was bad guys dressed as Nazis essentially like just the black mm. and red and white uniforms always associated with bad guys yeah it is best special effect well I had written down the oatmeal quicksand yes I did think yes, that that was the best special effect in the movie mm. <laughs> it's good it's good it's practical it looks great it's yeah I think it's hilarious we're picking just like 600 liters of oatmeal <laughs> over the sort of months and months of groundbreaking inverted commas CGI <laughs> yeah I know favorite sound effect unfortunately i had nothing for sound there was just nothing i couldn't pick out anything really yeah. wow well i was going to pick the um the kissy sucking noises that damodar's ear tentacles come out with oh, when yes. they're extracting information from marina and uh yeah and you can tell that he's getting information because they they actually sort of like bulge there's like bulges ah, going yes, down yes, the tentacles yes, yes. so it's actually yeah <laughs> most funniest moment i laughed at the movie a lot mm. i can't say i laughed at anything that was possibly intended to be funny other than 
the moment when Marlon Wine smacked his head on a door frame. And uh, yeah, that made me laugh. Oh, right. right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think that's the only intentionally funny thing in the film that I found funny. The rest of it, I was just laughing at. Not yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. Just the deliveries. I mean, the the one I mentioned in, in my favorite quote, like Profion's lit there, blood rain from the sky, is just. I'm I'm shocked that that was left in the movie. It's it's so bad. It really is. Yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. Mm. And that's our movie. Uh, yes. Yes. Hello, this is Mikey Newman from FilmJoy, and you're listening to Movie Oubliette. Okay, it's final verdict time, unfortunately. Still no Michael. Uh, But should 2000's Dungeons & Dragons be set free from its shackles, fly away and be adored by all, or should it be devoured by a red dragon and spat back into the depths of the Oubliette, (laughs) where it belongs, forgotten forever? Conrad, uh, was this a masterpiece for you? I mean, <laughs> honestly, surely, <laughs> surely you should go back in the Uh Yeah, I mean, we've discovered many gems, you know, even films that have been maligned when they were first released, like Waterworld, which we did with Mikey Newman and mm. Zoe Wells last year. We watched it and thought, actually, you know, this is just a solid 90s action movie. It's not perfect, yeah. but it's not terrible. So I went into this with an open mind, you know, it's the butt of loads of jokes. It's sort of, how did this get made sort of level of, uh, of ridicule. Yes. Um, so I watched it with an open mind thinking this could be a little gem of a movie with some fresh ideas. Mm. No, it's it's just a, a <laughs> hodgepodge of, of Star Wars and Lord of the Rings plot points, mm-hmm. which, you know, most of these quest narratives have you know similar beats but they don't rip off the sort of settings and the character dynamics as well Mm. the dialogue's atrocious the production design is uh, well it's 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 detailed but it's all over the place i mean there's disco blue lipstick and, (laughs) and ridiculous shoulder pads and you know, but some of it looks good. You know, uh, some of the locations are good. Some of them are not. The CGI is just abysmal throughout, mm. but the practical effects are pretty good. The actors are clearly doing their best, except for uh, Jeremy Irons, who's clearly just taking the piss so yeah. he can pay for the tapestries <laughs> in his castle. Yeah. The music's not bad, but uh, it's not particularly memorable. I think at best it would be charitable to say it's it's mediocre, and I even its director has said since that he would love to mount another production of it again, so that he can redeem himself to all of his uh, Dungeons and Dragons fellow Dungeons and Dragons enthusiasts. Mm. But uh, although he apparently he was involved in the early negotiations for the new film Honor Among Thieves that's coming out soon. Right. Uh, he, he's he's not listed in the credits, so clearly it must have all changed hands again. And uh-huh, uh-huh. Now it's with Paramount rather than Warner Brothers. So, yeah, uh, no, I, I don't think so. I, I wouldn't wish this on my, my worst enemy. I think this is quite safe back in the Oubliette. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree on all accounts. Like, it's, it's just a bad movie. And not good, bad, it's just terrible this if this movie had humor i think it would have been passable like like undead mm-hmm. like uh, if it was just goofy and silly and, and stupid and and just um more self-aware but this movie it's not it's it's dead serious and it comes across as amateurish and cheap uh, the effects are cheap I don't know why they didn't utilize the settings more in Prague of all places. Like it should yeah. have looked way better. Um, surely mm. there's some forests they could have gone to because yeah, all all the external shots are just shockingly terrible in this movie. Um, <laughs> all the establishing shots of these these big swooping shots of castles and stuff. They all just it all just looks like video games on, on yeah PlayStation One. Yeah, just not good. Um, I can't believe, if you look at the ratings on IMDb of the sequels, the sequels have higher ratings than this movie, Mm. and they were straight to TV. 
as well, like straight to DVD movies. So if that's in any indication that the the original movie is worse than its sequels, oh, that's that's bad. That is bad. Yeah, it is. I'd like to check them out actually to see what they're like. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine this movie would have just broken so many D&D players' hearts. Like, how? how? I, oh. I, I often wonder, like, how did this even get released? Like, how did they go, okay, this is this is the best we can do. Let's put it out. Why? Why would you put this out? <laughs> I just, I'm well, sorry. Well, they, they got to get their money back. Yeah. I, they, I mean, they didn't. They only yielded a $34 million at the box Ooh, office worldwide on a budget of 45. It was released in the run-up to Christmas in 2000 where it placed fifth behind How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Vertical Limit, Proof of Life, and Unbreakable. Uh, and then it just slowly drifted down from there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can yeah. I can see why. Uh, it's, it's very obvious. Uh, I would say out of all the <laughs> movies that we've done on the podcast, this might be the worst movie uh, we've wow. ever covered. And that's it's up against like extra and, and the stuff and... Um, spookies, spookies. <laughs> Even spookies was at least enjoyable. I mean, it was. It a was mess. actually. It was entertaining. It was entertaining <laughs> and like amazing practical effects in that movie. Like, if anything, um, mm. but yeah, this is terrible. This is yeah. I think it's 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 that time between practical and CGI when they were like, oh, let's just like put CGI in this movie, and it was yeah, appalling CGI. The early 2000s. Yeah. But then you get, then again, you compare it to like, you know, uh, Ran of Fire two years later and it looks really good. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, see, Rain of Fire is one of those movies where I was glad that we got a chance to dust it off and bring it out of the oubliette because I would never have watched that normally. Yeah. And it was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great effects yeah. as well. Looks amazing. Mm. Maybe they were just, they just far too ambitious in this movie. They should have had one mm. dragon. They should have had one golden dragon and one red dragon. That's it. Yeah. And it would have been fine. Simplify. Simplify it. And and put all your effort into making these two dragons look amazing. But no, they had mm. hundreds of really <laughs> shit looking dragons flying around. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's back in for you, I guess. Yes, yes. <laughs> Oh, we do have uh, another vote. We do have another vote, yes. Let me check in with our patrons who get to vote too. And their verdict is unanimous. Throw it back in. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the entire world is unanimous on this. <laughs> yeah. They are. Eddie Coulter said, this movie needs to be burned, buried, and then salt the earth so it won't rise again. Mm -hmm. There's a few things I do like in the movie, such as the practical creature effects for the orcs, some of the costumes, and Elwood the dwarf. But that's not enough to save this trash fire. I prefer to watch its direct-to-DVD sequels, Dungeons & Dragons, Wrath of the Dragon Ah, God. Yes, yes, yes. There you go. Ah. Another vote for that. Uh, Chazilla says... If I'd been 10 when Dungeons & Dragons 2000 was released instead of 30, maybe I (laughs) would have liked it more. Most of the performances were awful. I've seen better middle school plays. And I don't think Marina the Mage passes the sexy lamp test. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Good callback. But uh, yes, he says, I'm afraid Dungeons & Dragons 2000 rolled a 1 on a D20 Ah, for defense, just as Michael said, and it's back into the oubliette with it. But yeah, that's the first patron vote we've had where it was unanimous. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) Nobody wants to save this movie. And I think if Michael's internet hadn't crapped out or maybe maybe it just took mercy on him, I'm sure he would have voted Mm. the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I believe so. I believe so too. So let me just grab the sucker. Where's my dragon's eye? Hold it back in there. Bye-bye. Yeah, no one should ever watch that movie. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Very bad. I'm interested to see the new one, though, because the trailers do look funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I guess uh, the question is now, Conrad, what are we going to be doing in the next episode? Ah, well, it's a patron's choice episode. So you know what that means, Dan? Yes, it's time for... 
Okay, Dan, it's time for us to spin the wheel to find out the winner of the patron's choice Mm -hmm. for our next episode. Yeah, a lot of movies. Yeah, we got some really good choices in here. There's some old favourites that are nominated by our our patrons every time because they're really keen for us to do them. Uh So we've got uh, Venom from 1981 and which are on a (laughs) a similar sort of uh, serpentine thing there. yeah. We also have uh, Terry Gilliam's Tideland. Somebody was evil enough to nominate Battlefield Earth and the Adventures of Pluto Nash. Uh Uh, Stay Alive, Hobo with a Shotgun, Biggles, Primer, Time Rider, Bubba Hotep, Chopping Mall from previous guest Kelly Maroney, Mm. which will be fun, Uh, The Green Slime, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, so another Carpenter movie, Uh Four-Sided Triangle, uh, Streets of Fire, and The World, The Flesh, and The Devil. Oh, okay. Great title. Yeah, great title. Never heard of it. I don't think I've seen any of these movies. Maybe Tideland I've seen. Yeah, I think I've seen Tideland, and I've seen Memoirs of an Invisible Man I've seen. Okay, I haven't seen that one. But the rest are a complete mystery to me. So let's give that wheel a spin. Yes. Okay, okay, what will it be? Ooh. Oh! <laughs> Ooh! It's the adventures of Pluto Nash. <laughs> right, right. It's a 2002 yeah, oh. science fiction action comedy by Ron Underwood starring Eddie Murphy in a dual role, Randy Quaid, Rosaria Dawson, Joe Pantoliano, Jay Moore, Louis Guzman James Ribhorn, Peter Boyle, Pam Greer, and John Cleese. Uh huh. Wow, that's a that's quite a cast. It is quite a cast, yeah. And Ron Underwood is also uh, somebody that um, doesn't usually turn out bad movies. He did Tremors and City Slickers. And, oh, okay, yes, yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, it should be interesting. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, definitely more yeah. comedy. I shall look forward to that. Yes, me too. Well, unfortunately, he's no longer with us because his internet took pity on him and cut him off. But thanks so much to Michael French from Retro Blasting for joining us and uh, dungeon mastering us through this journey. Uh, Mm. Check out Retro Blasting on YouTube for fantastic videos on toys and media properties from the 80s yes and if you want to keep uh, up to date with our episodes you can follow us on social media we are movie oubliette everywhere and you can also email us at movie.oubliette at gmail.com yeah and if you want to support the show go over to patreon where you can nominate films for us to feature in future episodes as our patrons did for Ooh. this episode uh, where you can also vote on whether the film should be thrown back into the oubliette or released and for the uh, princely sum of 10 pounds you can be an executive producer and get exclusive access to behind the scenes details about the show yes 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 i i recently posted about uh one of the sound effects that i created for our patreon vote actually um yeah check that out yeah and you are an executive producer at that level too so thank you to our executive producers chazilla eddie coulter and isaac sutton Mm. Thank you. Uh, we also have merchandise at Redbubble and also a YouTube channel as well where we delve into uh, video essays about franchises. Uh, there's one on Halloween. So many movies we had to watch for that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Next stop, Friday the 13th. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot, listeners, for joining us on another episode. Uh, we'll See you next time. Goodbye. Bye for now. We review the films others tend to forget. Come with us and open up the movie you yet. I've enjoyed our little chat, but now it's time to die.